Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome to the second hour of Mornings with Carmen on this Tuesday, the 25th of February. Um, I'm going to do a little pray the news item here. Uh, You're going to hear about um, coronavirus outbreaks in Chinese prisons, and in one prison in particular, a massive outbreak. And it's really raised concerns about Christians who are imprisoned across China. And so uh, let's be praying the news this morning that God would enable our brothers and sisters in Christ not only to remain safe from infection, but that God would use them as witnesses and agents of his grace, even in the midst of this. Like God is able to do far more than we ordinarily dare to ask or imagine. So let's, let's ask him for something big that only he can do, which is get into Chinese prisons, protect Christians, and then use them as agents of his grace uh, with others. Today is the day before Ash Wednesday, so I'm going to really encourage you to be thinking about your Lenten plans, maybe not what you're giving up, but what you are taking on as a spiritual discipline. All right, up next, uh, I am going to be talking with Missy Robertson. You know her from Duck Dynasty. We also want you to come to know her as a Christian sister with a really remarkable ministry called Restored. So we're going to talk about the journey of women in recovery and renewal. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. to be joined today um, by Missy Robertson. You uh, you will remember her from Duck Dynasty. We, she's here to talk with us today about Restored with Missy Robertson. Missy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me. So let's, um, let's start with just a wide open question. You know, folks would be interested to know, um, you know, what's life like after Duck Dynasty? That's definitely the number one question we get these days. Um, there's no behind the scenes after the show is over. It just kind of drops and, and everyone asks, we, we, we want to know what's going on. Um, pretty much the same thing that you saw on Duck Dynasty. We just don't have cameras around anymore. <laughs> so that was what was so great about uh, when we were on the show is that we were able to just be ourselves. So uh, where we, you know, work together, we live a lot of us on the same street. We interact with each other. We go to church together. So a lot of our lives are the same. But then because that dynasty was so big, um, that something that none of us ever expected, the opportunities that came our way, now we're living out some of those, you know, after the show has been moved on the cameras left. So new business opportunities. Our kids are now, most of them are uh, grown and in college, high school. So 
it's like a different season in our life. So, you know, with different seasons come different challenges, but we're all, um, we still have good relationships and we all spend a lot of time together. So I will just confess, you probably hear this from lots of people. I just genuinely appreciated how um, open your entire family was um, about praying together around a shared meal. I mean, if I think, I feel like if our culture has one takeaway from Duck Dynasty, um, it's that intergenerationally relationships matter and prayer around uh, a, a shared family meal can come in the context of any kind of, uh, of, of even disagreement or, you know, other things might have been going on relationally in the context of a particular show. But there's always shared fellowship around a table, hands held and, and shared prayer. And that was sure. a, continues to be a huge testimony. Yes. And we, uh, that's something else we saw, you know, that, that people were actually started to, they started to do that again. And a lot of it came from the children in their homes wanting to do what those crazy people on that dynasty did. And that was, let's go sit at the table, mom and dad, are we, aren't we going to start with a prayer tonight? So that we, we did see a lot of that, but you know, we're not naive enough to think that everybody in this country or even the world can do that. Um, myself, my parents moved to West Monroe when I was three months old and didn't know a soul and it was for a job. So, you know, not everybody, including myself, grew up with a street full of cousins and aunts and uncles at, at every birthday party or school event, grandparents around the corner. So we know that we were very blessed to be able to have that. And I'm hoping that we took advantage of that while our kids were growing up to be able to have those relationships. But even if you don't in your own home, you can start with just the people who live in your home. It doesn't have to be the entire community of family getting together, but just at night coming together. I mean, right now at our house, we have one child living in our house now when we had three and four. So we have Mia and she's a sophomore in high school, but at night it's the three of us at the table eating dinner. And I love that because sometimes she'll fix our plate first and that's where she's headed. So she wants to be in there with us and talk and laugh and see what we're doing. And of course we want to know what she's doing too. It's just the perfect time to catch up after a crazy busy day. So I want to talk with you uh, about a couple of things. We want to talk about Restored, which is um, a five-part series that friend that the friends who are listening right now can get on Pure Flix, and you can find it at pureflix.com. You can actually find it on their Facebook page. Um, and, but I also I want to start with a conversation about laminin. Um, when I saw that uh, word, I'm thinking Jesus is the one who holds it all together. Tell me exactly. about Tell me about Laminin, uh, the company. The company started in 2016 with just kind of, um, let's do something a little bit different, a little bit fun, something to fill the time kind of deal. Um, and I don't last long like that. Um, I'm just not built that way. So I, I knew as soon as this started that it wasn't just going to be something to, um, an accessory to my life. I'll say, I'll use that jewelry term. It it became quickly a much more meaningful mission. And that's because I started hiring women who have challenging backgrounds and past in the way of um, opioid addiction, incarceration, human trafficking, um, just a lot of uh, self-worth 
questioning of their of their own lives. They weren't valued by their moms growing up. And all of that came with me, uh, the knowledge as it grew over time in the past three and four years working with these ladies. I honestly was thinking, I'll just give them a second chance. And we have, but there's so much more that goes into um, a soul, a woman, so complicated, who was told her whole life, you'll never measure up to anything. You are not worthy. You have no value to my life. Now leave. And when you're told that over and over and over again, of course, you question yourself, why am I here? So at Laminin, they are able to come. Uh, they they make jewelry is where, where they first start out at the jewelry table. And that's just sitting there with other women making beautiful pieces of jewelry. But so much more they've learned to do. Market. They learn to talk to the wholesalers. They learn to do email campaigns, uh, upload and run the website, design every single piece of jewelry. So there's so much more that they have learned that they can do with their skill set, that the talents that God has initially given them. And then also just the bandwidth to, to learn so much more. So they're understanding their worth, their value, and that they do not have to go back to that destructive lifestyle. So if you want to find um, Laminin, the, the company, you can just go to Facebook and, uh, and you'll find Laminin Designs. That's a great place to connect directly with um, this, what I'll describe as, uh, I'll just describe it as a faith-based, um, it's a ministry, but it's also, uh, it's a commercial enterprise. Um, but now business, we want to talk, yes. yeah, it's a business. We want to talk about um, Restored because these episodes are really powerful. Um, it's, a, it's a way of entering into a conversation that most of us know is happening out there, but we don't know a person like Brandy or Charlie or Courtney who's willing to tell their story. And we're certainly surprised to discover Miss Kay's unheard story at the end of this. So I am talking with Missy Robertson. We're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about Restored, this five-part series sharing the journey of several women who have um, well, really overcome. They are overcomers. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation now with Missy Robertson. She is the host of Restored with Missy Robertson. It's a five-part uh, series that you can find right now at pureflix.com. You can also find it on the PureFlix Facebook page. Missy, introduce us uh, into this video series. Yes, you were saying that, you know, it's hard to, for people to hear some of the stories that these women have gone through. And after three and four years of knowing these women, Again, I completely agree with that, but I think that sometimes we have to open up our minds and our hearts to hear the hard truths of relationships and what people have gone through out there, because if we don't, we have no idea how to help, and that's what we're here to do as children of God. We're here for each other. How can I help you? And so these women share the hard <laughs> the hard knock stories of their life, and as they're so completely different from each other, they're so much the same because that inner core of, I don't, I don't want to believe that I'm not worth anything. I don't want to, I don't want it 
to expect that I'm going to raise my children the same way that my mom raised me. I want to do something different. So in all of these stories of um, not just being given drugs by their moms, a lot of them, and taking them with their mothers or being used to sell to other kids to give to their mothers, and then also um, being incarcerated because of that, getting caught, or using their bodies in order to get that next fix because they don't know where the money's coming from anymore. All of those things are tied together. There's, I've learned too that there's, there's, not, a, there's not a lot of self-human uh, trafficking out there without drugs. Drugs mm. is the basis to feed into that, that I, I have to get that next one. So the only thing that I own in order to sell is my body. So a lot of it is captivity and sex trafficking, but a lot of it is because they are held captive by their own addictions. So they have to, you know, get clean somehow. And so that whole process of hearing God speak to them, God putting them in certain situations for them to turn to him, all of them have stories of that, which is really awesome to hear that they were able to understand and acknowledge that he is there and that they're crying out for help. And so laminin is just another way to try to pull them and keep them, keep them uh, from, from that world out there so that they don't return to that and that they don't go ahead and inflict that same lifestyle again on their children. Now, laminin is not, uh, it's not um, a, a recovery house at all. So they, once they start working, it's a, it's a business. They have to stay clean. And we do random r- drug tests a lot just to make sure because we can't have that infiltrating back into the work environment. So once once they get that second chance at Lamb, and it, it is up to them, they have to make those choices to stay clean in their life in order to continue. So uh, if, if we if we go and we visit pureflix.com or we go to Pureflix Facebook page um, and we watch Restored with Missy Robertson, um, the initial episode is going to be a little bit of, you know, life after Duck Dynasty. Uh, and then we're right. going to encounter Brandy. Brandy's story is um, is one of being rescued and transformed from a life of abuse and, and prostitution in prison. Then we're going to meet Charlie, uh, a former high school valedictorian um, who entered into a very destructive world of, of drugs and crime um, out from which God has redeemed her. And then the radical life change of Courtney, a teen mom whose um, son had a devastating health diagnosis, uh, and eventually she cries out to God. And it's these really are these magnificent, beautiful stories. I think the surprising episode is episode five. Tell people, um, just, just invite them uh, briefly into episode five of Restored with Missy Robertson. Well, that's with my mother-in-law, Miss Kay Robertson, who is known for the the silly, quirky, just accepting, loving, um, compassionate mom, matriarch of the Robertson family. And even though she's always been like that to us, the times before that I ever knew her, of course, when the boys were little, when Jace was little, those were the hardest times of her life. And that's when Phil was not acting like the husband he should and the father he should. And that was before he met Jesus. So she shares some of that time in her life where she didn't know if she wanted to continue with living. 
because it was just such a terrible, terrible time for her with three little boys that she just did not know how to do this by herself. And she um, she shares a lot of that with Billy, who interviews her on Pure Flix. And, you know, I'm sitting off to the side listening to this. And it's not that I haven't heard it before. I hear it. I've heard it many times. She shares it um, everywhere she goes. It's in her books. It's uh, when she's on stage somewhere, she talks about it because even though it was a hard time in her life, it's such a happy ending because Phil found Jesus. She found Jesus. She was able to raise her boys in the arms of herself, her husband, and then Jesus that wraps us all up. So she understands now that through those hard times, you can find redemption. And I love hearing it. She's so funny. She's super funny and laid back, but then yet she just kind of spits it out and tells it like it is. She doesn't, she doesn't hold anything back. So the, all of these stories are very real. Um, I interviewed the three girls that, that worked for me because and I am not a journalist. <laughs> that was not my intention. But because of their past relationships with men and how men have used them up and spit them out, they said they felt more comfortable with me asking the question. So don't go into it thinking you're about to see a professional interview. It's just me asking questions that pretty much I already know a lot of the answers. And then a lot of them, I was um, I learned a lot during these interviews as well. So um, it was a it was a new experience for all of us, but one that I feel has to get out there because they are very common. Something else I've learned through this process. These are not uncommon stories. There's so many of these same stories out there. If we can just open our eyes, get involved in people's lives, look and listen and then try to help. One of the. Um wonderful recovery ministries that I know uh, is available there in West Monroe um, and available in other locations across the country and around the world is Mercy Multiplied. I know you guys um, have a mutual affection um, with yes. with our friends at Mercy Multiplied for these women. Um, and so I just want to let our listeners know um, that when we're talking about the ways in which um, those who have recovered are then invited into having a second chance, um, there's a minist- There's normally a ministry between um, their their genuine crisis and their mm-hmm. ability to then function um, as a as a participant in in a workplace like Laminin. And so I just wanted to lift that up as well. Missy, yeah. um, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. We're going to direct everybody to the Restored with Missy Robertson video series. You guys can find that at PureFlix.com. Missy, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, friends, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, you may remember a couple of conversations that we have had here on prior occasions with Sarah Chase. She's a journalist. She's also the author of a book uh, entitled Thieves of State, Why Corruption Threatens Global Security. She's working on a similar uh, work related to corruption here in the United States of America. I like to talk with her from time to time about the topic of corruption uh, and the places where we find it in our culture and how we as Christians must and can uh, stand against it. So we're going to resume a conversation that we started, I don't know, a couple of months ago with Sarah Chase. So join us. Uh, Just stay with us right here on Mornings with Carmen. 
God delights in hearing your prayers. This is Max Licato. We can't even get the plumber to call us back, so why would God listen to our prayers? Your prayers matter to God because you matter to God. You aren't just anybody. You're his child. And when God saved you, he enlisted you. He gave not only forgiveness for your past, but also authority in the present and a role in the future. This life is on-the-job training for eternity. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. When you, as God's child, seek to honor the family business, God hears your requests. Will God do what you ask? Perhaps. Or perhaps He will do more than you imagined. So just stand firmly on this promise. When a believing person prays, great things happen. And because God's promises are unbreakable, our hope is unshakable. This is Max Lucado. Joining me again today is Sarah Chase. She is the author of Thieves of State. She also has a forthcoming book that will be coming out in August. We're looking forward to that. You can follow her on Twitter at Sarah underscore Chase. Chase is spelled C-H-A-Y-E-S. Sarah, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. And I have to confess, I'm not very active on Twitter. I will start getting um, a bit more so as the months go on, but um sarahchase.org is probably the best way to follow me at the moment, a website. All right. There you go. sarahchase.org. Um, okay. So we, um, we, we talk about corruption from time to time. I always think it's helpful to redefine it every time we get together. Um, so when we use the word corruption, what are we talking about? And maybe where are some places right now um, where we're seeing evidence of it? I'm so grateful that you raised this question again, because you did mention something the last time we spoke that I passed over, and I wish I hadn't. And that was to do with the sense as Christians that we are all corrupt, right? I mean, we're all fallen, and we all need to work hard to improve and seek grace, right? I, I would like to distinguish that definition of corruption from the one I'm preoccupied with, which is per corruption in the public sphere. Um, because one is spiritual and the other has to do with how one carries out entrusted duties, duties to society. And that means public office, but also potentially, you know, at the top of businesses, uh, which, which is also a public position. And there I make yet another distinction between the very narrow technocratic, you know, um, uh, definition that has been, you know, kind of minced down, if you will, over a series of Supreme Court decisions since the late 1980s to make it so narrow and technical that you almost have to try, you know, to commit the crime of corruption. And that indeed may be part of why the um, articles of impeachment recently did not specifically include the crime of bribery, because that crime has now been so narrowed by Supreme Court decisions that it's very hard for it to fit 
a lot of the behavior that most Americans would consider basically bribery. I mean, frankly, most of us would consider the way campaign contributions are given to public officials to be a form of bribery. Um, but that is also obviously um, uh, legal. And so that brings us to the third definition, which really is how I think a vast majority of ordinary Americans, not to mention ordinary Afghans or Nigerians or, or you know, Hondurans whom I've asked about this, understand corruption, which is to say the ability of a kind of ruling network to capture the um, instruments of state, if you will, like the, the levers that you get when you're in government, both legislative and executive, to rewrite and enforce the rules in ways that benefit their network instead of serving the public. And that can take a variety of forms. In, in you know, a country like Afghanistan, where I lived for a decade, I would ask people what's corruption, and I wouldn't get a definition, I'd get a story. And it would be, you know, when the district governor gets all the development money and he surrounds himself with a gang of armed thugs so we can't reach him to speak to him to register our grievances, that's corruption. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very three-dimensional view of, of what corruption is. Um, and I have to say, I think Americans are seeing a lot of examples of this kind of thing. I mean, just one, for example, I've been in a in a really interesting um, email exchange with a former deputy chief of the Los Angeles Police Department who went on to be chief in Portland about crime and what kinds of crime has the most impact on people. And, you know, he dedicated his life to street crime, rape, murder, robbery, that kind of thing. And he, and he told me, I'm, I'm sort of focused on this because I was always focused on people's quality of life. And it's that kind of crime that that is to the detriment of people's quality of life. Well, I wrote back, in the Great Recession, four million Americans were made homeless. That's quality of life. And that was the result of certainly systemic fraud in the financial sector, which was never punished. He had 7,000 homicide de detectives. I asked him how many did you have working white collar and corporate crime and corruption? He didn't answer. <laughs> so that's kind of what I mean when you, when a network captures the system so as to render its crimes invisible and unpunished, that's corruption. So Sarah, um, uh, several things leap to my mind as uh, as you are talking. Um, and again, I'm talking with Sarah Chase. Uh, I would say her area of expertise is identifying corruption and then telling the stories surrounding it that help the rest of us understand and see it so that we might become alert to it. And then we're also going to talk about once we are aware, what do we do? How do we actually uh, hold, hold people accountable? Um, I want to um, I, I ask you this before we have to take a break. And, 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 and that is um, when, when we talk about criminal justice reform and we talk about um, eliminating or lowering uh, mandatory sentencing for anything that's nonviolent, I think what we have positively in mind um, are those people who, because of, uh, of extreme poverty and life circumstance, have done things um, as a consequence of, 
of deprivation. Like, and, and, and so we don't want to unnecessarily um, penalize them, and we want to find a way to not continue to have a system um, that does that. However, lumped in along with nonviolent crime uh, is all of the white-collar and corporate crime. And when we talk about sentencing guidelines related to those things, we are, we are into a conversation where people really already get away with uh, really serious damage that's done to other people and institutions and our collective way of life. Um, and they get away with it and they continue to profit from it, even if they, you know, go, uh, go to jail for a very brief period of time. Brilliant, Carmen. Thank you so much for asking me that question, because frankly, in all of the discussion of um, criminal justice and sentencing reform, particularly when that First Step uh, Act passed, I didn't hear almost anyone raising this issue. In fact, I heard on one you know, radio show, a caller who did, and it was just dismissed out of hand. And I'm thinking, why do you suppose the multi-multi-billionaire Koch brothers who are recidivist corporate criminals in their chemical and and fossil fuel companies, I mean, dumping um, just all uh, safety, health and safety violations within their plants, I mean, again and again and again, why do you suppose they poured money into criminal justice reform? It's not because they, you know, their hearts opened up for disadvantaged um, people rotting in jail, as you suggest, for crimes, frankly, of circumstance. It's because they're trying to render them to, to provide impunity for themselves. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> I feel like there will be at least a chapter in the forthcoming book um, on that topic, I hope. Um, all right. Sarah Chase and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I am going to uh, I'm going to ask Sarah. All right. So help us see corruption and then help us know how to address it. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm smelling coffee. Birds are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy streaming in with the morning light. Continuing my conversation with journalist and author Sarah Chase. You can find her at sarahchase.org. Um, Sarah, let's pick up where we left off. Uh, how do we identify corruption and how do we become you know, vigilant and alert to it? And then how do we hold people accountable? Um, so on the first one, that's really what I'm trying to do with my forthcoming book, which is called On Corruption in America. Um, it's to lay it out, first of all, as not an aberration, you know, um, uh, perpetrated by lone, venal individuals, but rather the kind of operating system, right, of a network. And we've discussed this in, in past conversations. And that's not, and the, the networks interestingly cross the various cleavages that divide our society. But that's different from saying, oh, they're all corrupt, so why even bother and backing out? That's different. It is not true that every business executive and every public official is part of these networks. I mean, structurally, it's sometimes hard not to be. Um, but it is important to make distinctions. So that's one thing. Um, and then the, those cleavages... I also did a study on anti-corruption protests around the world. And one of the things I looked at was how do the kleptocratic networks fight back 
you know, when there are millions of South Koreans in the street calling for the impeachment, you know, of their president, um, which eventually happened, how do these ne the networks don't take it sitting down, right, lying down. So it turns out that one of their most effective tools is to exploit the identity divides and other cultural cleavages that divide their populations. Now, they in private, the networks, are all hand in hand across the divides, right? But they love to use them, manipulate our identity, you know, affiliations to keep us divided. And so I think it's really important to bear that in mind and realize that these are being, um, they're a vulnerability. The divides are our vulnerability. And that takes us back to love thy neighbor. I mean, one way of understanding love thy neighbor is to see that Jesus was actually trying to build a cross-cutting coalition, right, that could then take on the robbers in the temple, right? And so it's important to love thy neighbor just out of the goodness of it, right? But there is a, I want to say, a political implication to it, not a political, but a political economic um, implication to it for us in our everyday lives. And then the third thing I would say is, you know, we're going to have to make an effort. Sometimes I think that we default to convenience, and convenience really works to the advantage of corrupt networks. It's easier to, you know, order on Amazon, even if that means that people are going to be lit working in absolutely inhuman conditions that have not been seen in this country since the 19th century in order to get us our packages that same day. You know, do, do we really need that package that same day? Is there an independent store that we could patronize even through ordering that might be slightly more expensive? And I know that's not possible for everyone, but, you know, and might get to us in a week instead of a day. Do we really need that item that same day? Is there a way we could all take a trip with our neighbors to an independent shop and make an outing of it, things like that. And then thirdly, I want to say, and this is very, or sorry, fourth, whatever, another example, <laughs> I want to say, yeah, I don't know what, what number I got to. Um, so, so small is beautiful. For example, I would love to see more antitrust enforcement in this country. Short of that, could we examine the bank where we have our money? Is there a small local branch where we actually know the loan officer personally, where we could put our money? And, and all of these steps take a little bit more effort, but I think in the end, they're joyful and rewarding. They create community. Um, and, and then on the political side, I think we have to really hold the line on things like pol political finance. I mean, it you know, billionaires are working for each other. They're not working for us. The idea that because a person's a billionaire means they don't have to be corrupt, well, I saw that disproved in every developing country I, I looked at. There is no limit to the money obsession because it's not about how much money people need, it's about winning. And, and so long as somebody else can get one more billion than you, well, then you need another billion. It's like a race with no finish line. So I really think that 
candidates who pledge on the local as well as, you know, larger, uh, higher levels that pledge to take small donations only from ordinary people, that means they have to listen to ordinary people. Those are those are some of the ideas. I'm sure a couple more will will come to me as we continue talking. Oh, yes. So, that was the other one I wanted to mention. I'm so sorry, Carmen. No, is, and this, is, this is a very fraught one because it can really um, go off the rails. We've seen a lot of what is called social shaming these days. Very often, that social shaming is directed against weaker and marginalized members of our community. In, for example, the Me Too movement, it was directed more against powerful members of our society. But there was a kind of, you know, club, I, I want to say um, bludgeon, bludgeon aspect to it, in which different degrees of offense were all lumped together as the same sin, if you will. And that's a danger. However, I do think it's worth considering when we see around us in our places of work, in our in our own communities, acts that we consider to be corrupt. I mean, I think we really have to consider speaking up. We tend to speak up about identity issues. We much more rarely speak up. And that doesn't mean do it in an in a hurtful or. Um, violent way, but simply raise some questions. I think right. the more raising good questions, we can add. Yeah, yeah, raising questions. All right, we're gonna um, we're gonna be alert. We're gonna seek to raise good questions. We're gonna do so uh, in community. So uh, it's it's close to home first. No social shaming. There's some good um, some good counsel there from Sarah Chase in terms of addressing corruption where we see it and experience it. Uh, thank you, Sarah, as always, for joining us. You guys can find her at sarahchase.org. We'll be right back. All right, it is the eve of Ash Wednesday. It's the eve of Lent. Um, I'm hoping that by the time we all arise tomorrow, we have a plan in place. And that means you got if you're going to have a plan, you got to put that plan in place today. So if you're going to take something on, a particular spiritual discipline, during the season of Lent, the 40 days between now and Easter, then today's the day to make that decision. Today's the day to make that commitment. Today's the day to find that resource. We have had a number of conversations here uh, on Mornings with Carmen with people who have written uh, devotional plans related to the season of Lent. I, rem I remember one recently with Asherita Chuchu, but there have been others as well. Uh, we have resources available for you at MyFaithRadio.com. Uh, get your study Bible out and simply commit to reading a, a couple of books of the Bible maybe during the season of Lent. Have Bible before breakfast. All kinds of ways that you could take on a particular uh, spiritual discipline during the season of Lent instead of necessarily giving something up. But obviously, you're giving something up by taking something on. So uh, don't let your uh, walk with Christ be a put on this Lent. Actually, put on Christ. There you go. There's a thought for us. All right. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.